From my side, a warm welcome to everyone here today. For those who don't know me, my name is Louis Skippers, and I am the lead pastor of um, Grace Church. We have been in Canada for almost a year now. It's our first Thanksgiving, and we're so thankful that we get to celebrate it with all of you today. Um, for those who are visiting today or here for the first time, you jumped into the middle of a series that we started um, five weeks ago, about, and, and it has everything to do with the new vision that we believe God has given us, a new direction that our church is heading in. And um, I want to explain it quickly, and then I'm going to say how it can affect you, whether you're part of grace or even if you're not part of, gra- of grace, whether you are a Christian or whether you still have a lot of questions and doubts in your life. I believe this is relevant for everyone, but this is the vision, that very simplified vision that we believe God has given us, growing a family that loves Jesus. A simple vision that is faithful to the great commandment that Jesus has given us to love God with everything we are and to love our neighbors as ourselves, but also to the great commission, and that is to go and to make disciples, to share what we've heard with other people. And in order to truly share this and make this part of our life, um, we, we started this series called Move, a six-week series in which we say, how can we live out these three things? How can we share with other people so reach our community? How can we grow? How can we be a family? And how can we love Jesus? How do we practically do that, one, together as a church, as the body of Christ, and two, how can I do that in my personal life as an individual? Now, let me tell you why I think this is important. And I want you for a moment, I actually wanted to have a, um, a chase, a game, a chase game on the stage, but I was like, ah, no, ours is still packed. So, but I want you for a moment to imagine in your mind a, a chess board with all the pieces set up. If that is, maybe you're one of those people who had one sitting on your coffee table for years, right? If that is sitting on your coffee table and no one makes a move, that game is stuck. In order for the game to progress, in order for the game to go from start to finish, people have to make numerous moves to go through this whole process to get to a place where someone is in checkmate and that is done. The game is finished. Now, the same is true for us in everyday lives. In order to not get stuck where you're at, we need to make certain moves in our life. We need to add certain habits to our life that helps us to move forward. And that is what this series is about. We're talking about these six things that we need to do. Three that we do corporately as a body. Three that you need to take for responsibility as an individual. But this is not about ticking off six boxes. This is not about religious rules where I just do it because it's another to-do list that I need to tick off. This is about incorporating healthy movements into our life that helps us to not stay stuck and slowly drown in life, but to move forward on this path that I believe God has created you for, that He has planned you for, because you are here for a purpose and a plan. He designed you for a reason. So if you are part of Grace Church, this is movements that our family need to live because this is how we live out the vision that God has given us. If you're not part of Grace Church, I want to encourage you to still listen to this and say, how can I take, not necessarily tick off six boxes, but how can I take a step forward? How can I make a move in my life that helps me 
To not stay stuck, but to progress on this journey that God has me on. And maybe you're like, but I don't even know if there's a God. I'm still trying to figure that out. The fact that you're here means I believe you're here for a reason. So you already gave a step. But like, what's your next step, right? That's what this is about. So this is not about perfection. This is not about living it out perfectly, but about making a move that will help you to not stay stuck. And for the last two weeks, this is the last two weeks of our series, we are focusing on the third part of our vision, the love Jesus part. And why is that so important? That is our commitment to the, to the great commandment to say we're going to do everything we can to love God with our hearts, with our souls, with our minds, with our bodies, with all of our strength. That's what it is about. And today, we're going to be talking about the corporate part of that. How do we do it together? And our topic for the day today is together we celebrate Jesus. Together we celebrate Jesus. Now, I don't know what your growing up experience has been. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you didn't. I did grow up in church. My dad was a pastor. And um, I always loved Jesus, and I love the church, but I didn't always like the expression of it, the services. So where I grew up, it was very traditional, farming, rural community, reformed church, fairly traditional services, the organ playing, old hymns, have no idea what you're singing, not because it was in Afrikaans and I was English, I am Afrikaans, but because the words were so big, right, and so fancy. They're like, I don't even know what that word means. And often I would hide in the garden, so before we built a church, and one of the churches we were in, before we built our own buildings, we used to meet in a school, and they had this weeping mulberry outside with the, the leaves going all the way to the grass. And I would sneak out before that service. The moment my dad left, I'm like, I'm safe though. Now it's mom, and she's got four kids. She's not going to find me. So I would hide under this mulberry tree. I'm like, I'm safe from all eyes. No one can see me. But then sometimes we had these evening services, and I would love them. I remember there would be this guy, um, Pete, who used to play his guitar, and I would sit like on the edge of my seat, and it was different kind of music, and I would sing my heart out, and I used to love it. Because back in those days, we didn't have kids' church, so we didn't always hear the gospel, the message of Jesus in a way that we understood. So I was counting light bulbs if I wasn't hiding in the garden. So maybe that was your, your growing up experience. Maybe you didn't really like church so much. Maybe um, you loved it. Maybe you were like me and you're like, I've got a love-hate relationship with it. I'm not exactly sure um, what to do with it. But the question I think that, that has become more and more pronounced these days is, is it still necessary for the church to gather here? Is this just something we do because it's organized religion or because it's institutionalized religion? Is it still relevant? We've got online, right? So is it necessary for me to put on clothes and come here? You should put on clothes anyway. <laughs> Someone once told me when I was dressing a little differently, oh, I'm so glad to see you were dressed. I wanted to tell them I'm always dressed. I'm not a nudist. But... Um, is it necessary to get dressed and to come to a building full of people to worship together, or can I just watch online? And that is what we're going to be talking about today. Um, what is the value of this? Is this important? Why are we even here? That's a big question. So our topic today is together we celebrate Jesus, and we're going to be reading from a Bible book in the New Testament called Hebrews. It is one of the only books in the Bible where we do not know who the author was. 
So we believe God inspired the authors to write the Bible, but most of the time the authors would reveal themselves. In the book of Hebrews, he doesn't, but we don't really care about that. And I think maybe God intentionally had it set up that way so that the focus would be in God instead of on the writer. But this church, probably Italian church's letter that the letter was addressed to, maybe even in Rome, we know in that time they were facing persecution. They were struggling with some things in their life. And this letter is written to encourage them to put their faith and their trust on Jesus to refocus themselves and we'll be reading from Hebrews 10 verse 19 to 25 this is what he says <clears throat> and so dear brothers and sisters we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus by his death Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place if you're like, what is that curtain? Don't worry, we're going to talk about it in a second. Verse 21. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep His promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect, neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of His return is drawing near. So what is so beautiful to me is before this writer gets to practicalities, he first reaffirms the difference between the religion they came from and the faith that they have now entered into. Now in those first two verses, he uses this phrase of, of a curtain. And you might be sitting here and you're like, I don't know what a curtain is and I don't know what the difference is between religion and faith. Now let me quickly summarize what it was about and what, what the difference is. Religion is about legalism. It is about ticking off boxes. It is about doing the right thing in order to appease a God. You hope like if I have done enough good things in my life, if I didn't swear too much, if I gave enough money to poor people, if I've done all the right little things, maybe God will be like, okay, you're good and you can be with me in whatever comes after this life. That's religion. And almost every single religion in the world works on exactly the same way. It is about what we do for the gods that people serve. It is how we try to appease them. Christianity, I believe, is completely different. It's not a religion, it's a faith, because it's different. And here is where the difference came in. In the Jewish religion that Jesus came, he said not to nullify, not to destroy, not to take away, but to fulfill the prophecies that was there for thousands of years. In the Jewish religion, they had buildings similar to this. But it was divided into sections. And God chose to be present in the back section of this building, whether it was a tabernacle, a tent, or whether it was a temple later on. God was present in the back section that was called the Most Holy. His presence was so tangible that if people walked in there, they would die. 
So once a year, only the high priest had to go through all of these purification rituals. He had to tick off all the boxes. And then he could go through the skirts and into this most holy space and be in God's presence and then ask for forgiveness for all the sins of the people. That was a visible representation of the separation that existed between people and God, between created and the one who created them, the creator and the created. Something separated them. And it is the curtain, I believe, was, was a, a symbol of our sin and our brokenness and our mistakes and all of these things that we do that just creates a deeper and a deeper divide between us and God. But when Jesus died on a cross, Jesus did so, so that all of these things that separated from us from God, our mistakes, our past, our sin, the things that fill us with guilt, that could be washed away, that we can be forgiven. And as a visualization of that, the moment when Jesus died, the earth went dark, and the curtain, which was in the temple, probably not a physical curtain, but it could have been an actual wall, but it doesn't matter. Whatever it was, this was a big thing, and it tore not from the bottom to the top, so that no one could think this was a human who ripped it apart, but it tore in half from top to bottom. As a symbol that because of the sacrifice of Jesus, there's no more separation between us and God. So the first thing this writer does, is like before we talk about practicalities, why we are here, first get this. Our faith is not about religion. It's not about trying to appease a God or to get all of the boxes ticked off. Our faith is about living in a relationship with Jesus, with the most holy place, the place where God lives, is wide open for us to run into the arms of a Father, as we just sang, that loves us more than you and I can ever imagine. The one who pursued your heart even before you knew about Him. This is the first lesson that I learned from this. A deep and an intimate relationship with God is possible because of Christ's sacrifice. Previously, that deep and intimate relationship was reserved for a small number of people that God chose and that could live up to His standard. And they are very few and far in between. But basically what the writer is saying, for Christians, there is no reason to live far from God any longer. There's no reason you can think of, there's no reason you can create to live far from God. In fact, he says in verse 22, you don't have to live with guilt you don't have to live with fear of punishment because the sacrifice of Jesus was so perfect. And this is a long story for another day, but it was so perfect that every mistake you've made, everything that could fill, fill you with guilt, anything that could fill you with fear has been taken away. But now we get to, we have to talk a little bit about the problem of why he's saying all this. The church was facing actual persecution. The Jews killed them, the Romans killed them, everywhere where, they, where, where Christians went, the people of the way, everyone was just killing them for their faith. It created a worldwide revolution that was so big that no historian today denies that Jesus actually walked the earth. And everyone was killing them, and these Christians experienced persecution from so many sides that some of them started to wonder if it was still worthy to follow this Jesus. If it was still worthy to gather together, to share about him, to do all of these things that they could be killed for. 
You see, and maybe today you're sitting here and you're like, I'm so lucky that I'm not in that time. We, we don't experience that in Canada, right? We're not killed for our faith. You might feel like you experience different, smaller versions of persecution, but we are not at a place where you're like, if I don't give up my religion, I'm going to die. A lion is going to tear apart my wife and my children. We're not there, right? But what is interesting, what they were going through, we all go through that. And that is the moment that we face difficult times, the moment that we experience things that threaten us, we like to isolate ourselves. We like to disconnect from everyone else. The moment when you're sick, the moment when you feel like you're struggling with mental health, the moment that you have sin that you are ashamed of, the moment that something is threatening your financial security, what do people do? We're like tortoises. Have you seen those things? They're so funny, carrying the house on the back, right? And the moment something happens, whoop, inside. Talk about fight or flight, right? There's not even flighting there. It's just like he just carries his safe space with him. And we do the same thing. And here is the sad part for me. COVID enhanced that and made it even easier for us. Because when we faced the crisis, not only did we isolate, but the world told us, you have to isolate. And suddenly people started to struggle to climb out of their shells again because it's so comfortable and warm inside. Our first instinct in life is self-preservation and survival. But the problem is when we isolate ourselves from others, it starts to become for some reason really easy to drift away from God as well and to start to isolate ourselves from Him as well. Maybe this is your first day back to church in a long time. Maybe it's the first time you're tuning in to an online church. And maybe you were there where you started out with the good intentions, but slowly you started to drift away to a point where you have completely isolated yourself from God and from your neighbors. Therefore, the Hebrew writers warns them. It's like, listen, I know things are tough. And I know you want to isolate, and I know you want to pull into your shell, but that is not healthy. That's not how you're going to grow. So he tells them in verse 22, he says, let's go into the presence of God. The New International Version translated as, let's draw near to Him. So what he's saying is, instead of isolating yourself when times are tough, instead of isolating yourself when you made a mistake, when there's shame in your life, instead of isolating yourself when you're struggling... That's not going to be good for you. Choose to, instead, of instead of isolating to draw near to God. You see, God's position in your life never changed. Whether, whatever you did, however you felt, didn't change the way God felt about you. Didn't change the way God looked at you. He's still pursuing your heart. He's still, he's still waiting for you to run into His arms. At the end of the day, it's not God's position that changed, but it's our position where we decided to not enter into this amazing relationship we can have because of the relation, because of Jesus' sacrifice. It's like it's open, but you have to choose to run into this relationship. And then he says, from verse 22 onwards, he lists a couple of things that happens when we enter into relationship with Jesus. He says, one, it helps us to trust Him. 
See, I cannot trust the stranger because I don't know if they are trustworthy. And maybe you're still struggling to trust God because you haven't known Him intimately enough to know that He's trustworthy. I trust my wife 100% because for 14 years we've spent almost every minute of the day together. Her character has proven over and over that I can trust her. And when we are in a relationship like that with God, His character is trustworthy and we will learn to see that and we will learn to trust Him. But the second thing that happens is He's saying, like, you don't need to run away because you've got a guilty conscience anymore, conscience anymore. Because once we enter a relationship with Jesus, we receive forgiveness and He says, everything is washed wash clean. No matter what you did in your past, no matter what you prayed to, no matter how broken your life was, no matter what things you've done, he says, you're washed clean. There's forgiveness. There's no more guilt. There's no more, there's no more fear of punishment. But you only receive that once you enter that relationship with Jesus. The third thing that happens is, he says that we receive, we find hope in him because he's a promise keeper. Again, I cannot know that someone is a promise keeper unless I live in a relationship with him. The moment I'm in a relationship with Jesus, I see that the same God who's been faithful through generations is still faithful today. And therefore, I have hope, not because it's blind hope. It is hope that is built on a foundation that's thousands of years old. And therefore, I can actually have hope because if God saved people in the past, if God came through for them, if God saved my grandparents and my parents, He will save me and He will save my children. But I learned that once I'm in a relationship with Him. And this is the difference between someone who truly follows Jesus and someone who maybe still hasn't made that commitment. In times of crisis, for me, he is my anchor. When you follow Jesus, he is your anchor when you're facing a crisis. You don't have to search for a different anchor. Because you already have it. When you don't have him, you're like a boat, just like on a rough ocean. And you don't know where to go. And you don't know whom to trust. But here is the interesting part that he closes this with at the end of it. And this is how we tie into our message today that together Jesus is celebrated. Because it's like, okay, Louis, so if I want to enter this relationship and I want to have that hope in Jesus, I want to trust him, I want to know him intimately, how do I do it? Is it just something that I can do on my own? And the answer is yes and no. Again, you've heard me say this over and over throughout this series, and for some of you it will be the first time. Christianity is personal, it's not private. Christianity is personal, it's not private. That relationship with Jesus starts with me, and it starts with you making a commitment to Jesus to surrender your life with Him. Choosing to spend time with Him. Choosing to live in a relationship with Him. But it was never meant to be private. It was never meant to be lived in isolation. It was always, Jesus literally designed, created the church so that we can live our faith both personally and corporately as the church. The word church, we often in modern times define this as a church, right? The structure. This is not a church, it's a building. An hour on a Sunday is not church. It's an hour. 
The church, the Greek word that we translate as church is the word ecclesia, and it literally means a meeting of called out ones. The church is when the people who's been called by God's name gathers together for the purpose of worshiping Him. We are the church when we gather together. And furthermore, we see in the Bible, what is the church compared to? What is the images that that God uses to illustrate what His church should be like? Two things that I love the most. One is the body. And it describes like how we are all different pieces of the body and like each one needs the other and each one has a specific function. It's literally saying like this finger, if I cut it off and I throw it there, is it going to like grow its own legs and start living its own life? That will be a private finger. No, like this finger is part of a body and it can only function when it's attached to this body. So he uses this vivid illustration to say that you are part of something bigger. This is not supposed to be lived in isolation. But the other term that the Bible uses is probably one of the most intimate and beautiful ones. And that is, this is, it's the word bride. The church is the bride of Christ. The one he will give anything for. And when you are part of the church, you are his beloved. You're part of this incredible thing that he loves so much. So therefore, the writer tells them, listen, I know you're scared. I know you are being persecuted. But he says in verse 25, don't neglect meeting together. You might be like, but why? Dale Moody years ago, and there's a story of a member in his church that just stopped coming to church, you stop being part of the community. So Dial Moody set out to meet with him one day, and, and he went over to his place, and um, guy knew exactly why the pastor is there, right? So I opened the door, kind of like awkward, like greeting, pastor goes to sit, he sits down, this is in Chicago, winter time, so it's cold, and Dial Moody says nothing, he just stares at the fire. So this guy's like, I'm staring at the fire. And the Almighty gets up and he walks over to the fire and he takes a lump of coal out of the fire and places it on the side. And he wins. He goes back to his chair, he sits back and they just look at this random lump of coal that's slowly turning from red to black to gray. And the time was always nearing for him to go so he gets up, he puts his jacket back on, he walks over, he takes the coal put it back into the fire and slowly the coal starts glowing red again. And he walked out and the guy said, thank you for that sermon, I'll see you on Sunday. <laughs> you see, when we are together, we motivate each other. When we are together, we encourage each other. Not one of those Christians could face persecution on their own, but together they were able to do it. And something beautiful happens when we are together that doesn't happen on your own. And I think we can easily fall for the trap of believing that what we hear here when the church tells us, oh, don't stay away, continue to meet together, it's because of the form religion or because of institutionalized religion. We just want you here, or we just want your money, or we just want something from you. Listen, when we gather here, I believe it's not because of what we want, what the church wants from you, it is what God wants for you. Because something happens when we gather together that can never happen on our own. 
And the Bible gives us a couple of clues here. In 1 Timothy 4 verse 13, Paul writes to, to Timothy, the young preacher, and he says, Listen, Timothy, until I come, devote yourself to public, so corporate, reading of Scripture, preaching and teaching. Why? Because just like the writer of Hebrews said, we are reminded of the truth. It keeps us anchored. It helps us to not drift. It keeps our eye focused in the right direction. Matthew 18, Jesus spoke about this. Matthew 18, verse 19 to 20, where Jesus said again, Truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. I'm like, why two? Why not just one? Because I think it protects us from selfishness, right? When it's just me. I tend to make it all about myself, about what I want from God and what I, my preferences are in life. But when two agree, it means that I have to let go of my selfish nature in order for us to agree. So it protects us from selfishness. It keeps us aligned with the truth. And then we encounter the Spirit of God there in a special way. He says, when you are there, I am with you. The Bible teaches very clearly that the Spirit is with you when you accept Jesus. He becomes part of your life. But God honors it when we gather together to worship Him in a special way. So this is not about what the church wants from you. This is what God wants for you. He wants you to remain anchored. He wants you to remain in the truth. He wants you to know Him, to love Him, and to grow together, to be encouraged, to be supported when times are tough. Together we celebrate Jesus. D.L. Moody later wrote this. He said, church attendance is as vital to a disciple as a transfusion of rich, healthy blood is to a sick man. I use the illustration of a chessboard at the beginning. This is one of the moves we want to encourage you to make. To say, let's make Sundays the norm, not the exception. And you can be like, but it's never been a priority for me. I'm like, you have to choose what is a priority because without it, you will grow cold like that piece of coal. Without it, you will be like a sick man without fresh blood. You will grow weak. It's not about what anyone wants from you. It's about what God wants for you. So let's make Sundays the norm, not the exception. Jesus has given his all. Let's together give back to him. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that I don't need to be part of a religion where I have to try over and over to appease you. Because I can't. I've got too many issues and too much brokenness, too much sin in my life to ever live up to the standard of a perfect holy God. But I thank you, Jesus, that you have forgiven me, that you have opened a way to the Father for us. I thank you that we can gather together in freedom to worship you, that we can encourage each other, that we can share your truth, that we can keep each other accountable, that we can help each other to stay on fire for you. 
I pray, Jesus, that this family would continue to expand, not for our glory, but for your glory and for what you want for your people. I pray that we will be a fire burning bright for you. That our relationship with Jesus will influence and transform every single part of our lives to such an extent that it will set the world on fire as well. I pray it in Jesus' name.